This is the Movie Hall of Fame class of Charlie Kaufman for Thursday, September 10th, 2020. Adam? Hello. The list is a little short. I was expecting one more movie on there, but I guess we're only going to touch up on that movie briefly. Oh, no. We're going deep in that movie. Don't oh, you we are. We are. Oh, absolutely. Okay. Uh, we are gathered here today because Charlie Kaufman just put out a new film on Netflix mm. called I'm Thinking of Ending Things, starring Jesse Buckley, Jesse Plemons, Tony Collette, other guys named Jesse. <laughs> I just realized <laughs> David, David Thewlis. <laughs> Both the leads are named Jesse. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't even realize that. But yeah. Those are the main four right there. Jesse Buckley from Chernobyl. I was like, who the fuck is she? Like, she looks so familiar. Yeah. And then I, then I figured out oh she's the 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 wife in chernobyl whose husband like decays because of radiation well a lot of husbands decay because of radiation in that movie very true. or in that show very good show uh yeah incredibly good show jesse buckley um also star of the upcoming season of fargo i think which makes perfect sense because you see her in this movie and you're like that's a character out of fargo <laughs> yeah everyone in this movie is a character out of fargo yeah ironically yeah isn't that right and actually uh Three out of the four leads in this movie were in seasons of the show Fargo. Hmm. <laughs> so I how see, do you like them apples? I see some strange connections here. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Well, I, I think the Coens and Kaufman are sort of kindred spirits in that way. We'll talk about that in a second. Maybe. Just you wait. I have an interesting insight into that in, in a bit. No. Uh, Kaufman. Here we are. Yeah. Uh, Charlie Kaufman is a, a famed screenwriter. I think one of the like... Um, one of the only celebrity screenwriters, I would say. And now he is a director, but you know he's one of those guys, along with I don't know David Mamet, Aaron Sorkin, that made a name for themselves just writing. And I think that is apparent for obvious reasons because a lot of times he inserts himself into his scripts. You mean every time he inserts yeah. himself into a script? <laughs> he certainly caught the wave, like like when. He came at the time, like during the '90s, when movies uh, were were being a little edgier and grungy, mm-hmm. and something about that voice just just really like broke through, particularly with being John Malkovich. Yes. So it, when 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 that took off, it's just like okay, yeah, this is this is the guy to carry that voice, <laughs> and yeah, it it's hasn't. I would I, well, he's still working. It's not. I, I wouldn't say people are clamoring for Charlie Kaufman, but. It's nice that he's Were they a- ever clamoring for Charlie Kaufman? Maybe. Maybe. Because as far as I can tell, most of his movies were box office bombs. They just yeah. didn't do well. Mm-hmm. And he's struggled getting financing yeah. for a lot of his movies. I-, I just saw an interview with him that was like, yeah, Anomalisa, we had to crowdfund it. It was literally a, a-, a-, a Kickstarter campaign that was... Uh, uh, you know, incredibly arduous. Took two years to animate that movie. Is he surprised that people aren't clamoring to see his movies, though? No, I mean he doesn't make particularly accessible movies, and right. somehow he continues to make less accessible movies. Yeah. Oh my god. The more movies he makes, it's just gotten worse and worse. I mean, I wouldn't say. I wouldn't say worse. I would say unaccessible, and I think those are two very different things. I might say worse. Okay. <laughs> I mean, it's it's. Eh. Uh, I, I would say Anomalies is more accessible than Synecdoche, New York, by a yeah. very significant margin. Yeah, but uh, yeah, when you when you trace back his career, like the, the, there's almost like they almost feel like parts of a series in a weird way. 
Uh-huh. They feel like very similar movies in, in many respects. Yes. I mean, Tarantino movies feel the same way. May, more so here, honestly. They're yes. telling stories that almost feel the same <laughs> in a lot of ways. Yeah, because here's the thing about a Charlie Kaufman script. The main character is always Charlie Kaufman. Uh, either it's explicit or implicit. Yeah, he's. I was I was talking with Jabril. He's like, I was like, well, I, when, when watching him, I sometimes get the wrong end of the Woody Allen vibes in, in okay. the sense that he kind of sticks to his tricks so yes. he's a little repetitive but he's just uh woody allen if woody allen was dark and depraved and only dealt in the deepest pits of the human soul yeah that's what kaufman essentially is more or less yeah i i think that's a a fair assessment <laughs> i i think with both of them and it's uh one of the main reasons why i respond to both of them is that i always see the sausage getting made when i watch a charlie kaufman movie yeah and I mean, someone's mileage on that may vary, but I am really fascinated by like writer as auteur, mm-hmm. you know, where someone like you is more interested in director as auteur. Um, but I just love watching the gears turn in his head. In the case of adaptation, you're literally seeing that on screen. Mm-hmm. But even when you see something like Synecdoche, New York, you can sort of get a glimpse into what horrifies Charlie Kaufman or what makes Charlie Kaufman tick or what he's going for when he writes a screenplay. Um, and I, I don't know, like, I'm not a huge meta guy, although Charlie Kaufman's a very meta writer. I would say he's the most meta writer slash filmmaker that's ever lived. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> that maybe has ever lived. I, I, I guess I'm more interested in just like, uh, what this guy is thinking as he puts pen to paper. And I don't know, I'm always going to be interested like uh, by that. Woody Allen is very similar in that way. Like you can, when you watch a Woody Allen character deliver a monologue, you are literally listening to his internal monologue. I, yeah, I mean, the, the meta-ness to it is not shtick. It's more as an excuse to explore those deeper human ideas. Yeah, that's a good way of putting it, yeah. So it, it certainly works in that way. It's not funny sometimes. Uh-huh. We'll, we'll, we'll get to the 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 strangeness with these tones. Don't yeah. you worry. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I, I would say the, the, the meta qualities, uh, work, I, I don't know, better here than, than other movies that are just trying to be, you know, a joke. Yeah. I sure. Yes, Absol- absolutely. Yes. I'm trying to think of like meta movies that are like serious in the ways that these ones are that where it just doesn't work. Yeah. I really, I can't think of one because usually it is meant to be funny. Right. Right. It's normally just slapstick comedy, you know, Give me an example of a meta movie. Now I can't think of one. Oh, I mean, oh, completely meta. I mean, Amelie. Uh, Amelie. Okay. Ooh, that, that feels weird to say. Yeah, Amelie, uh, yeah. Amelie's very and I'm Amelie. I'm, I'm, <laughs> now I'm getting confused. Yeah. Uh, Deadpool. Sure. No, that's the type of thing, though. I don't that's respond. That's what you're getting at, yeah. Exactly. Exactly right. Um, let's see. Be Kind, Rewind, maybe. I haven't seen that movie. Coffee and cigarettes is a is a is a meta movie. Purple Rose of Cairo, I guess, is kind of a meta movie. <laughs> I mean, if you want to get very specific with the definition, Goodfellas to an extent. Yeah, but that's not really what I'm getting at. Right. Yeah, I, I think really Deadpool is the type of humor I'm allergic to, and it, you're right. It doesn't seem like Kaufman is doing it just for shtick. It does seem like he wants to explore a part of his psyche, and the only way he knows how is to make his scripts as meta as possible. But it's weird. Like he, he, 
what what I do admire about him is that it's meta in the way that it was, is always pulling you into this world, so you're constantly aware that you are in a movie. But at the same time, the characters are never turning to you. Oh yeah, which I find very interesting because usually it's very much the opposite. You're pulled in, and the characters are like, "Look at this cool thing!" Right. And here it's like, "No, just follow us." Right. So, and they're also very well defined characters too. He's a very yeah. good writer of characters. Yeah. You know, even in his movies that seem gimmicky, like they're just imbued with a lot of heart and soul, um, including in his recent movie. However, you may disagree. You want to nope. talk about this now? <laughs> yeah, let's just get into it. Okay. Uh, so I'm thinking of ending things is on Netflix. You can watch it if you're so inclined. It is based on a novel by Ian Reed. Uh, I think it was written in 2016. Oh, and um, I did a little Wikipedia digging and I read the synopsis of the novel and I think it is safe to say that the movie takes some liberties oh, you with say. Ian Reed's source material. <laughs> Go fucking figure. So, um, what, what'd you, what'd you think? I mean, I, I, I think I hated this movie. Yeah. With like, I didn't see that coming. Yeah. I, I thought it like just nothing about it worked aside from David Thewlis. He's amazing. Yeah. This. If, if this movie didn't have David Thewlis, I would have killed myself. Dude, that like look that he gives when he's like hunched over and he, <laughs> yes. I can't even communicate that on podcasts. <laughs> I'm trying to do it in front of Nico right now. It's it's a combination of like intrigue and, and snarkiness. Right. It's so British. It's such a British look. <laughs> Just like, what is this guy doing? Amazing stuff it's in this space. Such a wonderful choice. I love it. Yeah. But uh, the rest of it it's a waste of time don't watch it that's <laughs> it's a fair. fucking waste of time man uh yeah go, go i mean honestly watch literally any other one of his his movies it's 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 interesting i suppose just in terms of as a piece um as like a as a movie experience in terms of sitting with these characters and mm-hmm. their story like who gives a shit man do you really care that much because i certainly don't about what anything that happens in the movie I I'm not even gonna I'm not even sure these characters were totally defined by the end of it. I'm not sure where. Well, the, yeah. okay. I have an idea as to why that may be. Yeah, why? What if I told you that some of these characters are not real people? Well, I understand that. Okay, <laughs> but they're characters. So, what did you make of the ending? Uh, what was you? Because here's the thing. I watched the ending, and I, spoilers for I'm thinking of ending things. Go in the show notes, and you can fast forward past the this conversation if you haven't Mm. seen it but i watched the movie and i just didn't understand what happened in the third act i had no idea i'm just too stupid to understand it is it all inside the janitor's head or something so i i went to the wikipedia page and i read the ian reed synopsis and now i think i get it oh so you need to read the ian reed synopsis in order to understand the movie well let's say kaufman takes some literal ideas and makes them metaphorical okay that's what he kind of does interesting so evidently jesse plemons is the janitor yeah that's what i got right which i got that yeah later in life and um he is remembering a time where he met a girl at trivia and didn't ask for her number yeah and is imagining what this relationship would be all of these years later okay and uh evidently that that moment in the school at the end of the novel, we've come to find out that Jesse Plemons and Jesse Buckley or whatever these characters are, uh, are indeed the same person. And they are just, you know, an imagining of, of, uh, of the janitor's 
psyche. Because certainly by the end of it, I was like, well, this movie is all about Jesse Plemons' character. Yes. Nice for that to sneak up on me. Cool. Right. Oh, stop it. I didn't care about Are you Jesse telling Plemons. me this movie didn't surprise you? Is no. that what you're telling me? <laughs> no. And that was oh, kind of Oh, stop it. Because I saw that coming a mile away as soon as I saw the janitor. Like, okay, well, that's what that's going to be. And... And, then the, and that's why Jesse Buckley, her character yeah. name is never quite nailed down. That's yeah. why, because he's constantly forgetting. Was her name like I think Judy? Was her name, you know, whatever. And that's why the memories feel so random. It feels like someone thinking back just randomly upon the evening and getting the details completely wrong. Right. In the best kind of way. Now, that was kind of funny. Yeah. Just seeing all the details just be so skewed and, and, and out of place time to time. And his interpretation of the past is just so dreary. Right. Um, well, I thought the idea of a young woman forgetting her name is kind of terrifying like i was pretty terrified by that idea like what is my name anyway and and just that uh that like uh i don't know i don't know i found it kind of haunting that's kind of funny to me. i found this movie actually kind of scary if i'm being downright no. honest with you no i found it hilarious it's also hilarious sure no, in I certain thought, moments no i think i found it consistently hilarious <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> this is going to be a running through line with most of this what you find horrifying in kaufman's voice i find very 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 funny yeah we've gone over this um, in the past yeah but man like i couldn't have cared less about going on this journey and i don't care about this janitor or him thinking back on his life as if like like that's new for Kaufman or new for movies in general. I just got nothing out of this one. Well, I don't know if it's new. It's just trite to me. And oh, like I said, Jesus. I came, you're I, the only person on the internet calling. I'm thinking of ending things trite. Well, that's what what's it, trite about this. Well, that, I don't know. It's trite. There, there's, a, there's a 10 minute ballet <laughs> sequence at the end of this movie. How can you call it trite? Kind of like shape of water, huh? <laughs> That's you know what you got me there. <laughs> you didn't see that one coming when you saw the Fishman movie, did you? <laughs> uh. You got me there. No, I I don't know, man. I love a movie where um, there's a horrifying dinner party at at the end of a very long commute, and um, that I I thought that was great, man. The idea of having to meet your significant other's parents and then being uh, kind of creepy individuals is is awesome like that sequence the drive to actually get to the parents house is very very long <laughs> there's a few sequences like that that are very 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 long but like i can't think of a, a recent example of like an awkward relationship on its last legs mm-hmm. as effectively portrayed as that scene i don't think it's effectively portrayed though dude this is very strange this is not the way that it, it feels whatsoever and I've seen awkward relationships. They don't play out like that. Just sort of the empty silence and how they're not on the same wavelength and the yeah. awkwardness of Plemons there. Yeah, but dude, like that's just not – nothing about it felt natural to me is the thing. There's there's emptiness, sure, but like that's just not the way it, it plays out ever. I don't – and just – again, it's so surreal that it was hard to me – hard for me to buy into it that way. Just like the way she'll sometimes just literally change character. That happens in the movie. Yeah. But it's not just like how she's changing uh, – Her wardrobe changes it several times too, I think. Yeah. Where it, it's more like she just changes everything about herself. Like when she becomes like Pauline Kale for half a second. Oh, that was the best. Yeah. I'm like – How do you not love that? Like well, How do you not love Jesse Buckley reciting a Pauline Kale review? I don't like Pauline Kale. In a so 2020 movie. So you that's don't like Pauline. No, Kale. you don't. I've expressed that multiple times. I can't fucking stand. Pauline oh Kale. no. So there's that. <laughs> yeah, dude. And the, the the entire conversation is interwoven like that. So it's impossible for for me to enjoy it the way I would have enjoyed that scene if it was done by Roger Ebert, Richard Linklater. I don't know. <laughs> 
That, that's <laughs> <laughs> you want her reading re- Ebert reviews. I know how it is. I go. see you. There you go. I that, see. That's you, all it is. That's all it is. <laughs> yeah. No, no, man. Nothing. Nothing about this movie resonated for me on like a genuine level where I could connect it to life. So okay. So for that, it was a waste of time. Okay. I'm gonna write a movie and have A. O. Scott reviews yeah. as as inner monologues, and maybe you'll like it a little more. No, okay. you can't. No, you, you got. You can't do that, dude. It has to be a movie that's just Armand White reviews. <laughs> <laughs> then I'll like it. <laughs> then I will like it. Richard Brody reviews. Will that do it for you? Some New Yorker. Yeah. Yeah, I love Clemens in this movie too. I know you—you yeah. you were kind of mixed on him. Okay. I love him in this. He's okay. I love him in everything. Wow, I, I'm actually kind of surprised by your muted response to this because I really liked it. I really dug it a lot. Yeah, I didn't like it at all. Okay. I just—I don't know. We need more movies like this. No, we don't. Yes, we do. <laughs> no, we fucking. Yes, don't. we fucking do. <laughs> no, dude. we fucking don't. We need more movies like no, this. No, 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 no. Dude, how many like legitimately interesting movies had we had? Have we had this year? I mean, Tenet's an interesting movie. Even if it's not that good. No, it's... I would much rather talk about this one than Tenet. <laughs> Just what? Actually, no. I can't believe I'm saying that. No. I mean, uh, yeah, no. Uh-uh. I hate to say it, dude. Yeah, no. We don't need movies like that. Like I said, no. I, I say just don't make movies that waste the audience's time, and I think that's what this did. So, play. Give me more interesting movies. Don't get me wrong. I want interesting-ass movies. Just, you know, not this. <laughs> I think you need to watch it again. Do I? I think you do. Oh. I definitely need to watch it again because I didn't understand half the shit happening the first time I watched it. But I don't know. I dug it. All right. uh, Let's get into this then. (laughs) Uh, Class of Charlie Coffin. One of these five movies into the Movie Hall of Fame. We included films that he has both directed and written. He has a total of seven um yes. before i'm thinking of ending things we did not include the film human nature and we did not include the film confessions of a dangerous mind uh confessions of a dangerous mind we talked about on why is this a thing many moons ago yeah his, when we talked chuck barris his best movie his, i wouldn't his, say that his but. best movie ever made yes no. <laughs> yeah that's a good movie <laughs> i like it i like it just yeah, fine yeah it's okay he hates it though really yeah because um apparently clooney took a lot of liberties with his script mm. and he also like asked Chuck Barris for revisions, but Kaufman wrote it sort of as a satirical or a more satirical movie than it ended up being. Oh. And I think Clooney was like, I'm going to go to Barris and look for the historical accuracy here. The historical. Ac- oh my <laughs> yeah. God. And I, and I think like that sort of missed the entire point of the movie. Yeah. It's only slightly misguided. Yeah. Clooney. Yeah. Okay. So I, I think like that movie is fun. I, I think that, it's it's kind of weird to imagine that Charlie Kaufman wrote it because you would imagine something more self-aware. It's yeah, that's the thing. It's like when I heard that he had written it, I was very surprised because it's like the least Kaufman film I've I've seen personally. Yes. Yeah. Definitely. Um but we did nominate these five films. Being John Malkovich, Adaptation, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, Synecdoche, New York, and Anomalisa. One of them gets into the movie Hall of Fame. Uh we'll begin with being John Malkovich. From 1999, directed by Spike Jones, starring John Cusack, Cameron Diaz, Catherine Keener, and of course, John Malkovich. Nominated for Best Supporting Actress, Best Director, and Best Adapted Screenplay at the Academy Awards. A puppeteer discovers a portal that leads directly into the head of movie star John Malkovich. We talked about this movie mm-hmm. prior. What do you want to say about it today? I don't know. I don't know. It's, it's I mean, 
I mean, if we're, we're starting off strong, this is probably my favorite Kaufman film in quotes. Yes, you love this movie. Yeah, yeah this movie's great. Yeah. This movie is so, so, so good. But a lot of it is just because it's just, I mean, for all of the dreariness that, that is the story here and how just kind of sad the general idea is that someone would do this, I mean, like, it's just so funny and creative. And I just kind of jive with it in that way. Like it's it's a kind of movie you watch, and so, I mean, similar to a few of these movies, but more in a more pleasant sense. Here, I watch this. I'm like, whoa! I've never seen anything like that. How did they come up with that idea? What's fascinating about the movie is that like there was someone sitting down in a writer's room, not in a writer's room, just in his in his on his desk, and he's like, I'm going to make a movie about this, and that right. just, that just blows my mind. Yes, the fact that they could come up with this idea is just amazing, amazing, amazing to me. Yeah, and make it work. That's the other thing. This movie actually really really works yeah it works on a number of levels too it works as a drama it works as a comedy it works on sort of an existential Mm. philosophical um level it yeah a hundred percent um yeah it is the one kaufman movie um whose creativity doesn't insist upon itself Mm. you know what i mean like there are times and i still love kaufman and i don't take this um in a way that that is not intended but (laughs) i'm gonna use it against you you said that sometimes the dude's a little proud of his own creativity and sometimes he likes to show off with his screenwriting and i think in this one everything feels organic you know Mm. what i mean and everything feels like it is in its right place and all of the details of this world make perfect sense yeah um I I I, uh, I was thinking about it in terms of like that old screenwriting trope. Then this happened, right? Like Kaufman in many ways is a master of then this happened. You know, there's a lot of screenwriters, and and it seems like such an obvious thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's a lot of screenwriters. I, I think about Nolan and Tennant. Like they have the ending before they've even started writing the oh, thing. He didn't have the ending to that. Well, <laughs> I, I mean, at least okay. That movie doesn't feel like it organically progresses. No. Um, but there are movies like Being John Malkovich. Uh, there are movies like After Hours, uh, Uncut Gems, even oh. like certain seasons of Breaking Bad where it's like the writer sits down and he comes up with a scenario and he just keeps on going and he lets the story do the work. Mm-hmm. And that's a really hard skill as a screenwriter. It seems like such an obvious thing because that's how you assume writing goes. But screenwriting doesn't always go that way. A lot of times like a writer has a scene in mind or an ending in mind or a moment in mind or a twist in mind. Shyamalan, I'm sure is a similar writer in that way. Like he has the whole thing laid out before he even sits in front of the typewriter. But Kaufman does this thing in all of his scripts. And I include being John Malkovich in this where it's like, okay, there's a portal inside John Malkovich's head. What would happen now? I know we would sell tickets (laughs) for 15 minute trips into John Malkovich, the actor. And then what if the guy was a puppeteer and oh, he would actually control John Malkovich as a puppet. And what happened if John Malkovich went in John Malkovich's own head? And it turns out everyone that he saw would look exactly like John Malkovich. And the only words they would say were John Malkovich. You know, it just feels like an organically lived in thing, his Mm -hmm. scripts. Um, And it's, again, a very hard skill, but the guy just sort of lets his crazy idea (laughs) just keep going and going and going and going and going. And it's really brilliant for that reason. Oh, that's certainly true. It's funny when you when you talk about it that way. To me, it's like listening to it. It's like, yeah, this shouldn't work even one iota yes. like, like there's nothing about that that would scream like yes we're gonna make this movie and it's gonna flow nicely together because they do seem like crazy ideas yes um 
but yeah, I, I'm I'm surprised with his level of propulsion with the story because like you were comparing it to like something like Uncut Gems, which are movies where the the every necessity of the plot is motivated. Mm-hmm. And everything here makes sense, even though like there are little asides like selling tickets that don't need to happen to progress the story. But yes. it helps it feel more organic and lived in. Right. Exactly. And it is a weird example of a movie that, although it is very fantastical, uh, it just all feels of a piece. Like yeah. that seventh and a half floor <laughs> where all the characters have to hunch over. You don't even understand why it's funny and you don't understand why it's there, but it makes sense that it's there. Mm-hmm. It's one of those details where it's like, oh, yeah, that's the only setting that a movie like this could take place. And even though I didn't know you could create a location like this. Yep. Well, I look at that and I'm just like, like, I don't like you just said, you don't necessarily know why it's funny. But at the same time, I read it and I'm like, of course, this would exist. Exactly. On the seven and a half four. It's part of the reason why I criticize things like the game a little bit, where it's like when he goes to see the guys, like, what do you have in store for me? And it's a game. And I'm like, like, it, it's just like a, a, a broker's office building. Yes. There's nothing like special about it. And I'm kind of confused by that setting. It's not the kind of place you would go to discover something so kind of weavy, you know, mm-hmm. whereas this makes t- perfect, like surreal sense. Like if you're going to like introduce the character to what is going to kick this entire plot into motion, have the setting be something that's like, like kind of reflects that perfectly. Right. And it certainly does here. How do you come up with that? I, I, I don't know. I, 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 I'm sorry, but I'm consistently blown away by just like how they came up with these ideas. Cause it's so smart, but so like, no, the whole thing, I really don't understand it. It's so creative. Yeah. The whole movie is just bursting with creativity. Mm-hmm. Um, Kaufman wrote this script as he was in between TV writing jobs in the nineties. I think he wrote on the Dana Carvey show. I think that's like his most famous TV writing credit. Interesting. Um, but the dude was just sort of a, you know, down on his luck TV writer that couldn't get any work. So he wrote this damn thing in his own time. Uh, always had John Malkovich in mind for the lead, which I found amazing. Um, and, uh, eventually it gets into the hands of Francis Ford Coppola. Francis Ford Coppola's, uh, daughter uh sophia coppola was married to spike jones at the time so coppola passes it on to spike jones and the rest is history spike and him become uh frequent collaborators yeah and they make this movie together and it's fucking awesome Uh, yeah yeah it's pretty fucking awesome yeah i love the fact that malkovich was always the first choice too i love that they didn't you know cast tom cruise in this part (laughs) there's just i don't know what it is about malkovich too like it is just the perfectly weird choice, but at the same time, it still works, mm. you know, cause you could have, you, you could, in theory could have done almost anybody. Yes. But like, I, I, I still scratch my head at like why they thought John Malkovich is the one who needs to be this character. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. It, 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 it's just, I don't know. Artistically for this story, that's the one that felt right. Well, that's absurdism, right? Yeah. It's yeah. like, it could have been anybody, but it really couldn't have been anybody. True. Like it had to be this because it's absurdism and that's what... <laughs> That's what assertism was all about. It just has to be this. I mean, that's kind of how I feel about John Malkovich. Honestly, anytime I see John Malkovich anywhere, he just sticks out like a sore thumb. So Kaufman did say that he chose Malkovich because he believed there was a, quote, enigmatic quality about him that works. There you go. Though Malkovich was partly chosen because of the sound of his name and repetition. Kaufman explained that when we were thinking of alternatives, we found that a lot of them weren't fun to say. (laughs) So just John Malkovich, John Malkovich, John Malkovich was there was something funny about that idea. Malkovich, Malkovich, Malkovich. 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 It is quite satisfying. Yeah, exactly. Sometimes it's just that simple. Um, yeah, man, uh, it, it is a, an absolutely great film. Um, and it is one of those just like, 
right place, right time movies mm. and a definitive movie of that year for a year that was incredibly iconic. It came out of the, the, the propaganda films margin that was spearheaded by uh, David Fincher. And David Fincher is actually in this movie. Yes, he is. Yeah. I think Brad Pitt is also in this movie. Really? Yeah. For like huh. a second. Cool. Yeah. 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 I know exactly what you're talking about now. Mm-hmm. Yep. Malkovich, baby. Anything else about it? I love Cameron Diaz in this movie. Yeah, I love her too. She gets put into a cage like a monkey. Yeah, it's great. It's great. I love how they figured out a way to make Cameron Diaz not hot. <laughs> just blows me away. Yeah. Honestly, I'm, I'm a little more uh, turned on by Catherine Keener in this movie. Oh, she's incredibly sexy mm. in this. Mm. No, but Diaz, like, how do you make that chick look homely? Like Cameron Diaz, whatever you want to say about Cameron Diaz, that is the least homely human being on the face of the planet. They could make anybody look homely. I guess. Can't they? Look they did at it with Charlize. Charlize Theron, yeah. Yeah. They didn't just make her look homely, though. They went like... Yes. They did a bad thing to Charlize. Trailer <laughs> trashy. <laughs> Convincing trailer trash. Uh, all right. Yeah, that's Being John Malkovich. It's a great film. I it's love a, it. It's awesome. Look. It's also a Spike Jones film, though. And that's... That is the thing. And after yeah. seeing and after seeing her, I can watch this and be like, yes, yes, it is a Spike Jones film. Yes. Would you say, well, no, I, I, I take that question back. I was going to say, is it the most like distinct directorial effort on the list? And I don't think that's true. Mm, distinct directorial effort. Yeah, where it's like the director's voice is the most clear voice. Yeah, I don't, uh, I don't think so. No, probably not. Yeah. But still, like a collaboration in that way. Yeah. Yeah. Here's one that I think is less a collaboration, even though Spike Jones also directed it. Yes. And it's called Adaptation. And it stars Nicolas Cage, Meryl Streep, Chris Cooper, and Brian Cox. Winner of Best Supporting Actor. Chris Cooper wins the Supporting Actor Oscar that year. Also nominated for Best Actor, Supporting Actress, and Adapted Screenplay. A lovelorn screenwriter becomes desperate as he tries and fails to adapt the orchid thief by Susan Orlean to the screen. <laughs> it doesn't get much more fucking meta than this, man. <laughs> it, was, it was hurting my head. How fucking meta this movie. What is it about? It's about a screenwriter trying to adapt on the story of a, string, a screenwriter trying to adapt a novel while also being about the writer of that novel and the story of that novel. Oh God. You are watching Charlie Kaufman write the movie adaptation. That's what's happening. As we see the actual movie adaptation. Adaptation. Yes. Like Jesus. Incredible. It's awesome. Incredible. Like, Oh man. It's like, if you, if you, if you think about it, like you shouldn't be thinking about it. Right. It should just work on you. But like, Oh, it, I, I unfortunately was. And I'm like, Oh God, this hurts so much. Boy, this is a delight. Charlie Kaufman, I, I watched a uh, like a TED Talk type thing he did, like a screenwriting seminar. Uh, I think it was for the the, uh, the British Academy or something, uh, the BAFTAs or something. Um, but he's talking about writing, and he said that writing is um, – or a, a writer is someone uh, for which writing is more difficult than for anyone else. And I, I thought like that was such an interesting way of putting it. I think he was quoting another screenwriter when he said that. But like, yeah, the writer is the person that has a harder time with writing than anyone else. Anybody could just shoot off a text message. Um, but the writer is someone that is so tortured by his ideas and the thoughts going on in his own head um, that it, it is an impossible and miserable experience. 
And I, I, look, th- that has never been captured better than an adaptation. Yes. It, it is the definitive writer's block movie. Although they always tell you in screenwriting class, do not write about writer's block. The Coen brothers pulled it off with Martin Fink and, uh, and Coffin pulled it off with adaptation. Yeah. They are very similar. I kept thinking about Barton Fink while watching this this entire thing. I'm a little more in the Barton Fink camp, but uh-huh. uh, this is like almost as like a weird companion piece to that. If you were to watch them back to back, they do say different things. Yes, yeah, definitely. Um, and this one is far more meta. Yes. Um. So, yeah, this is the first time I watched it. Oh, really? Oh, it is. I didn't know that. Okay. Yeah, it's the first time I I'd seen it. I was just catching up on all the Kaufman stuff before yeah. I'm thinking of anything. I had I rewatched. I'd seen it a couple times before, but I unfortunately I'd kind of forgotten about it. I watched it in school. Okay, which is very strange. Uh, and then I was like, all right, it's been years since I've seen adaptation. Let me like like soak myself in it again because mm. that's what happens when you watch it. It is definitely one of those film school movies that it's like, hey guys, you don't think you can write a screenplay? Well, here. <laughs> take a look at this thing. Like, just explore where your creativity will take you. And, you know, that character that Brian Cox plays, Robert McKee, is a real screenwriting instructor. That's a real person who I think is still with us and I, I'm sure Kaufman attended a lecture of his at, at one point in time. Um, but like we've all had professors like that. We've all had teachers like that. I know we can name a few right here that it's like you have to have a plot and you have to have a, a, a third act twist or, you know, you, you cannot include a, a, a deus ex machina and you have to include a denouement and, you know, those sort of like formulaic Nazis screenwriting Nazis yep. that tell you here a plot, B plot, C plot. Um, like they they're just wrong they're just yeah. wrong like they're right if you are uh you know not a particularly good screenwriter but if you're charlie Kaufman, like you can pull this off like there really are no rules and this movie breaks all of them sure i mean you need to th- that guy is covering the bases he's he's way too passionate about those bases uh-huh. and that's kind of the flaw with him it's like well yeah you need to have a i guess an understanding of those things but once you know those things it's entirely up to you to break them that's what they're there for yes which is why i kind of admire where where the directions this movie chooses to go well the thing about this movie you're right is it is a kind of traditional hollywood story sure you know although it gets sort of satirical at the end like it does follow the the basic structure of a screenplay yeah yeah. you know what i mean it's not anti-cinema no and that's what's so great about it. It is still an entertaining movie with big movie stars and like a plot that's easy to follow. Yeah, I would agree. Yeah. You know, um, cage. Yes. Can we talk about cage? Let's, I mean, we'll talk about Meryl Streep. I'm sure. I, I mean, I like her in the movie. Yeah. I, I don't have like that much. I think she's good, but it's like my 25th favorite Meryl Streep performance. Yeah. yeah. This Nicholas cage performance <laughs> <laughs> is one of the best performances I've ever seen. It's amazing. It is unbelievably He's fucking good. incredible and no this. people we're not saying this ironically i know we always no. do this is a a, a genuinely fantastic performance. He's amazing by in Nicolas this movie. Cage. I, I I will go back to this movie many 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 times and flip it on just in the hopes that it will be a Nicolas Cage scene. I will fight you to the death <laughs> if you ever say that Nicolas Cage is a bad actor. This is all I need to point you to. It's like, have you fucking seen adaptation? He's a, this might be my favorite Cage performance. It's definitely my favorite. I Cage think it is. Yeah. Leaving Las Vegas is brilliant and everything, but he's amazing in this movie. Yes, and such a difficult part too. Yes, the the, the range of emotional difference between those two characters donald and charlie is mm-hmm. just so stark but so much to contend with and jump back and forth with and i mean and the, the other thing is that they're so well drawn that for him to sink back into these characters is just 
must be oh, just a painful experience for him. Oh yeah, but he's pulling it off every yes. every single time he jumps into one of them. This movie seems painful for everyone involved. Yes, <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Like Kaufman, especially like you're watching it and you're like, dude, are you okay? Yeah. <laughs> like, do you need a hug? Oh, really? Like, this this is the movie you thought of that way? Well, there's a couple. <laughs> there's a couple i i'm really like it just seems like he's struggling i really feel bad for him probably is struggling you know um yeah it just really seems painful for everyone and cage really taps into that like he really does and he goes for it like he still does his cage thing and he goes over the top and i but i i wonder if like jones was able to sort of hone him in a little bit and i wonder if like that's all he needs is like a strong director to keep him in check because every time i see him with a strong director he's always phenomenal sure you know yeah no i agree like uh, that's what that's what that's part of the reason why i disagree with people who say like oh he's 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 a shitty actor it's like well he 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 goes for a very specific thing he certainly has his interest as an actor but if you're able to rein him in a little bit he can pull off some really great stuff yes i honestly think he is good in national treasure that's not like a masterpiece or anything yeah his performance is good like sure you would watch that movie and say like oh yeah he's a good actor yeah sure and same with moonstruck i wouldn't call him a traditional leading man no 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 no, yeah 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 but i mean here again like just doing stuff that no actor ever ever does yes like this is just such a dynamic performance with such a great amount of range and one of the funny things about it is that you have two characters that are on both ends of the spectrum Mm -hmm. so they're constantly like jumping back and forth within their uh both of their spectrums so it's like a full range performance oh my god it must have been exhausting to do this character to do these characters donald is such a brilliant construction it's just an incredible (laughs) plot device i love donald you know (laughs) i can love donald how can you not love donald dude his pitch for his cop movie (laughs) yeah is just so brilliant of like you know they're on two sides of the law but they're really the same thing (laughs) i love it so much i just want to put give him a pat on the head like good for you you know why it's so true (laughs) that's the thing about this movie is it's like so in pursuit of the truth and you know kaufman's going for that man like i know like sometimes you watch i'm thinking of ending things and you think like all right this dude is way too far up his own ass but i do believe that in each one of his movies he is in pursuit of some truth oh he's certainly in pursuit of that i don't think he always pulls it off or maybe doesn't always stick the landing yeah but he's he's definitely going for something it's his movies are never never nothing i will say that never ever nothing yes and look that's admirable for sure Sure. um just all of his internal monologues here just there are so painful like as you know as someone that like has struggled with some of the similar uh you know insecurities that charlie kaufman has clearly dealt with <laughs> this is going to be the, the the defining difference between you and i though is that like i i i am as far removed from charlie kaufman as a person as right possible. i don't understand yeah why he's so upset i've never had those anxieties <laughs> ever in my life i'm the kind of guy that looks at charlie kaufman i'm like stop being a fucking baby right um but me i'm like hug me dad yes yes i know <laughs> so this is just gonna be me, me being like nico stop being a fucking baby yeah chill out man yeah do you know who was uh initially supposed to play charlie and donald who mr thomas hanks <laughs> yikes right yep no <laughs> that's a shit ass awful casting decision no whose idea was good. that i don't know probably the studio i imagine but like, i can't see anyone else in this role other than nick cage but that's just like a, an objectively bad decision right? yeah really bad 
Like where where did you what made you think of Tom Hanks? I don't know. He was a famous actor, I guess. So what? <laughs> it's not a good casting decision. So as we said, this is based on a real novel, The Orchid Thief. Yeah. Um, this was a Susan Orlean uh, novel. She was, I think, a writer for The New Yorker or something. Um, maybe another magazine. Meryl Streep plays a real character named Susan Orlean. Um, back in 1994, Fox bought the rights to the film. Um, Jonathan Demme was initially supposed to direct... Okay. And they gave the project to Charlie Kaufman. He was going to write the script. He was just a script for hire. Um, and of course, struggled to write it. And all of this was an organic sort of uh, exploration of writer's block. This all kind of happened. Obviously, the third act is completely made up. Everything with Donald is completely made up. Um, but it's just like an amazing sort of like lemons out of lemonade story. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because, yeah, you hear this pitch and it's like, okay, there's a woman that becomes attracted to a guy that stole flowers. Like it's not really cinematic. It's not really a movie idea. No. And somehow he made it a movie idea and it's pretty incredible. Well, I guess if you're, you need to, I, I, again, it's just, it's just awesome to see something like this come into fruition because you watch, I mean, the movie does a good job at setting up like how the orchid thief before even telling you that it's a shitty book to adapt. <laughs> you just kind of feel it. You're like, wait, why are they making a movie about flowers? Right. This is stupid. This is really stupid. <laughs> but also what you get is kind of a movie about flowers. Yes. And, yeah, kind of. And, yeah, in a way, sure. <laughs> you know? Uh, God, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, he, Kaufman had written two scripts um, and then uh, just couldn't get anywhere. Finally wrote that third script without telling anyone. Did not tell his studio that that's what the script was going to look like because he's oh, like, God. there's no way they'll let me do this. And ends up turning it in and it, uh, you know, the rest is history. Uh, Susan Orlean, when she read the script after it was completed... Uh, was in complete shock. She says, quote, my first reaction was absolutely not. They they had to get my permission. And I just said, no, are you kidding me? This is going to ruin my career. <laughs> Very wisely, they didn't really pressure me. They told me that everybody else had agreed and I somehow got emboldened. It was a scary idea to see the movie for the first time. It took a while for me to get over the idea that I had been insane to agree to it. But I love the movie now. Um. Yeah, that third act is just pretty nuts. And, bonkers. Yeah, but it works, though. It, sure. it really does work. Yeah. Um, and somehow in the end, it is kind of touching like that moment between Charlie and Donald mm. after Donald is, uh, flung out of the car. Spoiler alert. Although it's played for laughs and although like they're satirizing cheesy Hollywood films, I don't know. Like it's a little emotional. It does kind of transcend all that. I agree. Oh man. I mean, just, it's, it's a really touching way to illustrate that point of ignorance being bliss mm -hmm. you know which is very much a cliche but at the but when it's done here i guess i guess through the way you've built up your relationship with donald uh in relation to uh, uh charlie it's it's a little bit more powerful too so i just i just kind of buy it and i actually understand both sides of their argument speaking of ignorance being bliss yes eternal sunshine of the spotless mind okay how about that segue how about that segue i'll take it come on <laughs> come on Directed by Mihail Gondry. I don't think it's Michael. I think it's Mihail or Michelle. Michelle Gondry. Oh, it's Michelle? Michelle. Okay. Starring Jim Carrey, Kate Winslet, Elijah Wood, Mark Ruffalo, Kirsten Dunstan, Tom Wilkinson. Winner of Best Original Screenplay at the Oscars, Kaufman's only Oscar. Also nominated for Best Lead Actress. That's Kate Winslet there. When their relationship turns sour, a couple undergoes a medical procedure to have each other erased from their memories. Yep. Now, this is the one Kaufman movie on the list that, to me, is not really a Charlie Kaufman movie. 
This is a Michel Gondry movie in, uh, I, I think, more ways than it's a Charlie Kaufman movie. Um, this was Michel Gondry's idea. Uh, him and his artist friend, Pierre Bismuth, I did research on this, suggested this art project where they were going to mail letters, mail little cards to people that said a person that you know has been erased from your memory and they were going to see how people reacted and that sort of became a movie idea they brought charlie kaufman into the fold and he was sort of not really a hired hand but he was brought in to ex- uh, explicate an idea that had already been uh, come up with so it's you know not only a gondry idea but also a very uh distinct visual experience i would say yeah i would agree it's it's here's the thing though uh it's not the kind of visual experience I am crazy fond about. Me neither. It's very, it's very of a time and very of an independent sensibility mm-hmm. that to me is lazy. Sometimes it's not. It, there's some interesting ideas visually when it starts to get a little more cerebral or uh-huh. surreal, more or less. Um, but I mean, other otherwise, like it is to me, it's not that visually memorable. Huh. It's, it's a lot of it is is kind of like put this handheld get in a room with with uh, Kate Winslet or or Kristen Dunst as she says her monologue, you know, go to a shaky wide of Elijah Wood saying, "What did I do?" Yeah, I, yeah. I, I th- it's, that's funny. We kind of feel the same way. But I thought you liked this movie more. I do like this movie. It is it is touching enough with so, with a with a great idea. I really loved this movie's uh-huh. central idea. Whether or not I believe in it, I don't know. I think it's. I, but I think it's important just for human hope for the love of God. Yes. Um. You. This is the kind we do need more movies like this. I believe. Yeah. Um. I think from a perspective of filmmaking, it could have been a lot better. Uh, I also just think with the direction and how it, how it, I guess, treats its characters, how we sit with the characters, it's so cold. Yeah. You, you're kept at such a distance from these characters and you don't really know why, but every scene just feels like we're not totally there with these people. I think that's a little antithetical to the point. Yes. Oh, certainly so. I, I think it's uh, it, it's more on the direction than it is the script. Yeah. I think actually the script is quite Fair. brilliant. Yes. Um sort of backdooring a romantic comedy into a science fiction movie. Yeah. I just, I just love when, you know, writers play around with genre in that way. Um, and that's what this is. Kaufman manages to tell the entire story of, of a relationship while erasing that relationship. And, yes. um, I, I think, uh, you know, I, I watched a little bit of it again, um, as I was prepping for this, I forgot how much of the movie was in Jim Carrey's head. Oh yeah. Like, 75% of the movie is during that, uh, like, um, that, uh, erasing, uh, while he's knocked out and running away from, uh, Mark Ruffalo as he's going through mm, yes, all yes, of yes. these memories. Um, so like, it's mostly a romantic comedy. It's not even that much of a sci-fi movie. It is a sci-fi movie. It's a sci-fi premise, but most of it is just like, you're watching Jim Carrey and Kate Winslet get into fights and you're watching them fall in love on a beach and it's a lot more traditional in that way. And that's sort of what I appreciate about it. I think well, the most is just the fundamentals on a script level. It works in that way. It also just works as a film that, that, that you know, in order to break the rules, you have to establish them first. Yes. Which is, which again, something that I think Kaufman 
uh, does brilliantly, even if I have a few reservations with him. He's very, very good about that. Mm -hmm. And yeah, it's another example where it's like it proves like Charlie Kaufman could write just a straight and narrow script if he really wanted to. Yes. If he got out of his own way, Uh, (laughs) he could do it. Yeah. Uh, He just write a movie about flowers. (laughs) (laughs) Just make it about flowers. Yeah. What? <laughs> yes. Uh, no, and I, I, I like this movie enough. Yeah. I always come out of it saying, like, it's a it's a very good movie where the script is much better than the direction, in my opinion. Yeah. Um, Oddly enough, though, it is a beloved movie. I know. And People I, love this movie. This is the first movie. I remember, I remember very distinctively at a Halloween party one year, I was just talking with some friends about movies, as I tend to do. Yeah. Um, Wait, you talk about other things? <laughs> My life sucks. Yeah, you can just uh, say, I talk to friends and I understand the rest. It's a, it's a sad existence when you know, like, what did you talk about? <laughs> Movies. Nico and I played Cinephile again. <laughs> <laughs> we had conversations about Kafka, you know? It was... <laughs> Or Kafka-esque. <laughs> it's all Kafka. Kafka wrote it. Yes. <laughs> but I was talking with them and they were like, man, what do you think about Charlie Kaufman? I was like, I, I can't say I've ever seen a Charlie Kaufman film at that time. Right. Like, ooh, like Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. Man, I just think it's a brilliant, brilliant, just warming movie. And I'm yeah. like, oh, okay, interesting. It was the first Charlie, Charlie Kaufman movie I saw. Right. And almost immediately I disagreed with them. And yeah. I'm like, hmm. Like, okay, is is he directing? Is he writing? And then I found out, okay, he wrote it. And that made much more sense to me. Yes. But I was like, this is not like, like, I mean, it's, it's touching towards the end. Uh, but the film experience is just like, I, I need to like curl up into a blanket, not because I am, I am like loving it just because like, Ooh, I, I, I'm, I need to, I need to find some comfort here. Yeah. It's just not that kind of experience. You're hundred percent right too, because the end of this movie should land a lot harder than it ultimately does. And it's understated almost to a fault yes yes yeah yeah i i feel like on paper that ending should work and i do wonder like if spike jones directs this movie mm. how much better is it oh well, i think it's a lot better I, i'm not trying to trying to throw that much shade at M- michelle gondry here um but yeah you're right I, i'm just not like a huge fan of that sort of showy direction um it's incredibly showy here but you're right it's it's kind of lazy in it like it's art house quality like yeah. that that motif of the spotlight in the darkness, mm. especially towards the end of the movie where it, it looks like it's being recorded on those old yeah. school camcorders. Mm-hmm. Remember those? You ever have one of those? Like yeah. your, your dad would pull it out at like your second birthday party. Yeah. And it would have the giant flashlight in front of it mm-hmm. and it would just light up the one face <laughs> that's in front. And then, you know, all your relatives in the background, you can't make out who's who no. that's what this movie goes for intentionally. And you know, in many ways, that's sort of an iconic sequence um, for some movie fans, it, it never really worked for me. And I just feel like I'm always being taken out of the movie. And you're right. In a romantic comedy? Uh, no, that's not what we're... That's not the experience you're supposed to have while watching a romance. Yeah, because it's kind of dour, in my opinion. Yeah. It really honestly is. And I think that that showy direction is... is it can be a fine thing, but it needs to, like... It needs to hold some water. It has to have something more. Like, it feels like it's showy direction for the sake of it. Right. So in many ways, it just feels very empty when I see it. And I, and again, that's not the way I should be feeling about a movie about people who, no matter what they do, they are just, they just connect. Yes. They, no matter if they, you can erase their memory, they're still going to love each other because they are each other's person. Beautiful idea. Right. Um, 
But yeah, there is just something so distant about this movie, and I don't know what it is. Maybe it's just us. I don't know. I Maybe. think it is just us. Maybe. Because people adore this I movie. I know, I know. But You see it on IMDb. It's always like yeah. towards the top of the IMDb list, and, and people on Letterboxd are always watching it. I don't know. I guess this is the thing, and we'll talk about more. This will come up a few times, I'm sure, in the future. But it's one of those examples of a movie where people are like, it is a remarkable film. And I always respond with, what is remarkable about it on a piece-by-piece level? Yes. It's like, because I would say, are these characters particularly memorable? I I think Carrie is. They're fine. Is this the best Carrie's ever been? No. No? Probably not. What would you say? He's, He's better as Andy Kaufman, ironically. Oh yeah, you think so? Yeah. Hmm. Uh, yeah. It's... I would argue he's better in like his comedies. Sure, absolutely. I would argue. I, I would put Ace Ventura over this in yes. terms of what he's trying to do in Ace Ventura. Like, who is this character? I can't tell you. I can't recite this character's name. Yeah, I can't remember like much. Of I know Clementine. I remember Clementine yeah. with her blue hair. I don't remember. Winslet's that. getting this, but they're not like characters that like stick with you for the ages. They're just not those kinds of people. You you might remember the movie in a general sense, but. You, I wouldn't point to this movie as like an example of like the, these the people I just love in movies. Mm. Oh yeah. Eternal sunshine on the spot. I'm like, no, no, certainly not the filmmaking, the pacing, not so much. The editing is kind of like, again, it's, it's just this very like overt indie sensibility that is almost too aggressive. Yes. And yeah. I, yeah. Pure creativity is not always the best thing. Like <laughs> creativity does have to sort of, be in service of a mission does have it has to be in service of a problem yes you know that needs to be solved and yeah sometimes a movie like this creates problems that don't need solving sure it's just a small thing too it's not much of a story yeah it's because i I like this movie let me be no i do like i like this movie i hate it when we get to this point where like we're talking shit about it but we have to stress like we do like it but the more interesting conversation is us talking about why we don't love it as much as other people right exactly Um, Exactly. Because, because yeah, I, I, I do appreciate a lot of elements about it. And like I said, I do like the, these performances. I enjoy like like looking at these people from afar for right. the most part. I just don't know if that was wholly appropriate for the movie and yeah. the story. And like I said, I, the story, like two things happen in the movie. And it's just stretching those two things and giving little details as to how those two things make up what they are. Um, and that's it. And it's an interesting idea. It's ambitious enough. And I have enjoyed plenty of movies that are basically like, like nothing happens in the story. Plenty of movies actually. But yeah, yeah, I, I just, I just found this adding up to a a lot less than what I was promised, I suppose. Yes. I agree with everything you just said. And that's strange. I, I, (laughs) it's very strange because you look at this and it's like, this should be the movie that jumps out. And it's like, this is the movie hall of fame inductee, but yeah, I just I feel the exact same way as you. There's something that's a little bit off, and maybe it's just that the cult status of the the movie by the time I saw it was so overwhelming, and it, it sort of clouded my appreciation of it. Maybe my expectations were too high. I I don't I know. know. I, I don't know. I truly don't know. This was kind of an anomaly for us. Yeah, in a weird way. Like it's just I because I'm I'm right. You hear the idea, and it's like this movie should yes. be way better than it actually. Yes, absolutely. Is. And I just came out of it like, yeah, okay, that yeah, was good. Yeah, yeah. 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 But that's not what I should have had for a response. It should have been uh, much more enthusiastic. And it's just not. Are you aware that Michelle Gondry did that Green Hornet movie with Seth Rogen? She did. I've seen that. He. It's a he, right? Oh, he. I always want to say Mich- Mich- I hear yeah. Michelle. He Michelle, did? Right? Yeah. Did you see that movie? Yes. Is it good? <laughs> <sighs> it's, um, it is. Okay. 
It just is. Is it worth seeing? Uh, Does no. it feel like a Michelle Gondry movie? No. No. Okay. No, 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 no. Edward Furlong's in it. That's kind of weird. My favorite Michelle Gondry movie is Dave Chappelle's Block Party. Oh, did he do that? Yeah, that's my favorite okay, one. Okay, that's probably my favorite as well. <laughs> All right. Anyway. How happy is the blameless vessel's lot? The world forgetting by the world forgot. Eternal sunshine of the spotless mind. Each prayer accepted and each wish resigned. Beautiful. Quite beautiful. Beautiful. Just read the poem. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yep. I think you get it. Uh, I, I get it. I, guess, I just think, uh, yeah, Alexander Pope didn't need freaking uh, gels. <laughs> didn't need handheld cinematography just, to get that point across. Just like... <laughs> Have you like have you ever just seen the way a camera moves on a dolly? It's beautiful. It's amazing. Yeah. Do that. Yeah. <laughs> You're not making safe a private Ryan here. Okay. Uh Synecdoche, New York. Synecdoche, New York from 2008, directed by Charlie Kaufman, the first Charlie Kaufman directorial effort, starring Philip Seymour Hoffman, Catherine Keener, Tom Noonan, and Michelle Williams. Nominated for zero Oscars, if you can believe it. A theater director struggles with his work and the women in his life as he creates a life-size replica of New York City inside a warehouse as part of his new play. Roger Ebert called this movie the best film of the 2000s. I know. How about that? That's amazing, right? Quite an achievement. Uh, I watched this movie for the first time this week. Yeah. Yeah. You too, right? Yes, I did. Although I've been hearing about it for many years. Oh, me too, me too. Sort of in whispered tones. It's, an, it's a mythical beast. <laughs> yeah. If you go there, you might see it. Yeah, people are like, hey, did you hear about this Synecdoche, New York? Yeah. It's a pun. It's not Synecdoche. It's, it's Synecdoche. <laughs> I always Cause fuck the, it up. Because the part stands for the whole. Um, <laughs> th- this movie absolutely floored me. <laughs> In every conceivable way. Oh, boy. Uh, this is unlike anything I'd ever seen before. Uh, it's hopefully unlike anything I'll ever see after. <laughs> Unbelievable movie. Unbelievable movie. Again, it's one of those movies, if you tell me in five years it's in my top ten, I would believe you. I, I absolutely adored this movie, Adam. Um, I mean, this is never, ever, 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 ever getting in my top ten. <laughs> But it floored me. Yeah. Uh, it is unbelievable. It is unlike any film I, yes, I've ever seen in my entire fucking life. <laughs> and yes, I, I hope I never see another movie like this. I, I'm echoing literally everything you, you just said, but whoa, this is a movie. Holy fucking <laughs> shit, this is a movie. It's a capital M movie. Whoa. Um, and uh, boy. It's one of those movies where you're like, yes, this is why they invented cinema. It's like, this is what you're supposed to do with cinema. Sure, sure. Yes, you know? Yes. Uh, I, I, I'm sure I'm not quite as in love with it as you are, but like... I'm in love with it. It's an achievement. I want to marry this thing. This, well, actually, no, I don't want to... I want to marry it and then divorce it. Yeah, for your own good. I, I'm, I'm, prevent, I'm telling you no. I object. I want to get in a bitter divorce dispute with Synecdoche, New York. <laughs> this movie was just, oh my God. Okay, so um, we, we talk about this a lot. Non-horror movies that horrify you. Well... <laughs> we talked about this with Bob and Carol and Ted and Alice. Yes. That was a non-horror movie that horrified you. Yes. Francis Ha is that movie for me. Which is... I don't get that one at all, but yeah. I do understand it here. Okay. This one, oddly enough, it, it's not a horror movie, but it has like tinges of a horror movie. Um, 
the idea of a human being losing track of time and, and like having a three-year-old daughter and thinking that she's only six months older and it turns out, oh no, she's like 25 and a stripper in France. Like, I, I can't tell you exactly where in my head that nightmare lives, but it's definitely in there. And I watch this movie and I shudder. I shudder <laughs> in fear. It is terrifying to me. The stuff that happens to Philip Seymour Hoffman, like the seizures that he has spontaneously, as hilarious as that scene is, and it is laugh out loud funny. And I laughed out loud when I watched it. Like a part of me was like, oh, if I ever become this person, like I don't want to live on this earth anymore. Nico, I'm terrified. You're not going to become this person. I'm terrified. This is, in my opinion, maybe the funniest movie on the list. It's hilarious. It is so fucking funny yeah. in the most disturbing way imaginable. I ha- It's a funny games experience for me. Oh, it, well, okay. <laughs> let, me, let me make this. Here's the thing. The, um... Every, everything that happens in this movie is just just painful. Yes. Should be painful anyway. Uh-huh. It, and at first, it, it certainly is. It's just this dour, depressing, sad experience of a movie that goes so far into that direction that you're, the endorphins start kicking in. And then everything that happens in the movie is just the funniest shit I can imagine. It's like a serious man. Man. Well, serious man gets to that point much quicker. It's much more overtly that. Uh-huh. But the reason I'm comparing it to funny games is because in a slightly similar sense, that is a movie that just beats you into the ground to the point where you're almost forced to overcome the horror of what you're seeing. And you're like, yeah, it's just, yeah, fucking throw them into the water. <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> um, man, dude, there, there aren't many scenes that I've seen that made me laugh so much as when his daughter dies and then Janet Lee comes in and says, I, Jennifer Jason, Jennifer Lee. Jason Lee always do that. Jennifer Jason Lee says, I <laughs> hope you're happy. I'm not happy. <laughs> and I watch that and I'm like, just, just, just put me underground already. Oh, what's the, just fun? take me behind the barn and put me out of my misery. That scene was terrifying. It to was me. so fucking funny. And I understand what he's going for. Yeah, sure. And I understood the comedic elements of it, but like, I, it was just too real. It's like, yeah, for some reason this was, and it's not like I've experienced any of this. You know what I mean? Like I'm 25 and not much has happened to me, I mean, you know, in the, in the tragedy department. But I, I see this and I'm like, God, I hope that life is not like this. But see, that's the thing. I, I'm not convinced this is all that even real to me. It was just this weird fever dream of an experience. I didn't relate to anything that happened in this movie. Let, okay. me, make, make me, let me also make that clear. Uh-huh. A lot of the anxieties that these characters are forced to contend with, I just don't understand. Uh-huh. To me, they're, they're just just fucking terrible people. The idea of losing and, track of time, though, is not terrifying to no. you? Like, I've just lost 10 years of my life and I've done nothing with it? No. No? No. Okay. No. And that's part of I think it's... I, it's obviously an idea that Kaufman has been fascinated by and had a lot of issues with over over the years. But I'm just like, oh, I you're not dealing with life properly then, man. Huh. And it's a lot of like, it, it, this is the best version for for me of just get over yourself, man. Okay. Because I don't get I don't get these anxieties. What's I've never had them once in my entire life, and they're not worth it. That's the other problem is that like as soon as you start to think about, it, I'm like, it's just a fucking waste of time. I'm just gonna go and do something I enjoy. Okay, but like, 
see a lot of these anxieties were also there in Francis Ha. And it's one of the things. Yeah. And I know you didn't see it in that either. That but movie's like, so charming, though. Agreed. And so much fun. Agreed. But when Francis goes to fucking Paris <laughs> and loses a day because she oversleeps yeah. and, and just wastes a weekend in Paris, yeah. that is horrifying to me. Yeah. The idea that you can go to Paris, France and waste time. You know what I mean? And that you literally can, don't do anything of note. Can you laugh at that, though? Like, I look at that because that has happened to me plenty of times in life. Uh-huh. But I always look back on those memories and I just laugh at my stupidity in that moment. Yeah, I wish I could. Okay, so maybe that's the Like, I always quote the time when I missed Messi's 500th career goal because I was in the bathroom. Oh. And I just... <laughs> I would never forgive myself. Oh, yeah. No, I was... We were, <laughs> I would I, never forgive myself. We were sitting down waiting for it to happen for the entire game, but I was like, guys, I have to pee so bad. I'll be right back. And right. I go in and I'm at the urinal and then... And then you hear, the, go! No, the stadium literally starts shaking. Starts shaking, right. And I'm like earthquake just dead inside right yes <laughs> and my friends just look at me with that face right <laughs> and they don't say anything right i'm just like i know yeah uh, no I, I that is unbearable to me <laughs> that is, missing anything but that's why i watch everything and consume everything it's like i cannot possibly miss this like this may be a memory in the making and i don't want that memory to be i was taking a shit you know what I mean? And that's why I don't want that memory to be I overslept in Paris. I don't want that memory to be, you know, I was I was making a play that never got shown. Yeah. You know, I, and I'm missing my daughter growing up. Jesus, that's terrible. <laughs> well, we'll get to why why other elements of that are just like confusing to me, but um I mean, man, like, like it, it just depends on like how you view your days too. Like, I, I'm just, I'm just well aware of the fact that there's going to be a lot of time where you're just doing nothing because that's just part of it all. Uh-huh. You know, the memories will come. Don't worry, but you also have to be confident with the fact that you know there's going to be days where you're just, you know, sitting inside doing a podcast. Yes, oh, definitely. So no, and it's not <laughs> to say I don't spend most of my days doing that. I, I just think it's the time more than anything else. Like it, it's the feeling that I had just a few weeks ago when I woke up and I realized I was 25 and I'm like, holy shit, I'm halfway through my twenties and what have I done with them? Yeah. And we talked about this. I, I just find that so interesting because you and Nick had the same issue. Yeah. And I'm just like, I think when I was 25, I had a wonderful time. Just, I did nothing. I did absolutely nothing when I was 25. I think I just went downstairs, probably played a video game and that was enough for me. Yeah. And then the following day I probably went out and went kayaking. Yeah. And that was more than enough. I guess it's one thing if you're aware of it. I, I, I just think like the visceral experience of forgetting where you are in your life and forgetting how old your daughter is like all of that stuff, although it is played for laughs and it's absurd. Like this movie is very much absurd and surreal. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Like it just ter- it terrified me. It really did terrify me. And it's it's kind of funny because I, I was reading about the development of this movie. Originally, Spike Jones was supposed to direct it. It was going to be another collaboration. That makes sense. It was an idea that the two of them had together. And it began when Sony Pictures approached them to make a horror film. Mm. And the two of them began working on a film dealing with these things that they found frightening rather than just typical horror movie tropes. They wanted to take stuff in real life that terrified them. Uh, and it eventually turned into synecdoche with Kaufman directing it. Yeah. And, um, so and we, like I see it. I do see the seams there. Oh, I certainly do, too. And it certainly has that look and feel and the way it moves throughout the story. And it's much more mannered than like Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind is, mm-hmm. which I do appreciate. And just everything from like the, the, the production design. Oh, my God. The production design is so good. Incredible. Arr, it's so fucking good. Incredible. And it was probably overlooked, I'm sure. Yeah. But like, whoa, this movie has a very just a distinct vision and look. And man, does it commit to its idea in a way that I you just 
I, I just can't believe this movie exists. Yes. I can't fucking believe this movie actually exists. <laughs> it's amazing. And I understand why no one saw it. Yes. But again, and, like, we need movies like this. Yes. No, like, Netflix yes. should be throwing money at this. I know, like, yeah. you, you, you're neither here nor there, and I'm thinking of ending things. Actually, no, you're definitely not there, and I'm thinking of ending things. No. But, like, you need to funnel more money into stuff like this. Like, you need to give Charlie Kaufman a couple you know yeah dozen million dollars give give Hodorowsky the the money to make his 12 hour dune finally movie. yeah just Please, do it already just fucking do <laughs> <laughs> that movie will never get made but that again similarly here and there it's like yeah give, give give these people the money to 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 express themselves and be as ambitious as they can because this is wonderful right um i i i have to to note by the way what? um I don't think I've ever wanted a character to die more than who Philip Philip Seymour Hoffman. <laughs> the movie gets to a point and I don't know when that point happened. Maybe it was when he, uh, had sex with Gracie. Is that her who, name? Which one is Gracie? The blonde, Michelle Williams? The, not the blonde, the, uh, the, the it might've been her actually, but okay. no, no, the, um, the red hair girl. Uh, Oh, Oh, um, is it hope Davis? Is it Madeline? No. Oh, now I'm forgetting. No. Oh no. Hazel. 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 Smith and Morton. Yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah. 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 Like, like, I, I had that Elaine experience when she went to go see the English patient. I'm just like, yeah. just die already. <laughs> die. And boy, was I happy when he died. Yeah. My God. It was like, thank God. I fucking hate this person so deeply, so thoroughly to my core. I hate everything that this person is. I think his life is so utterly backwards. I think he is the root of all of his problems. And I'm just like, dude, you deserve to die. Get off this planet. <laughs> you are the most pathetic, sad existence I have ever seen in my life. And you just being around me is just infecting me. Get into the ground. That's how I felt. <laughs> I relate. <laughs> get into the ground, Nico. I relate. <laughs> I get it. Nico, I'm sorry you relate, but guess what? You are nothing <laughs> like this person. And I also like, I see Kaufman here. Oh God. Yeah. Just that idea taken to its extreme. Like, representation like you're uh, he says this many times and i just said it about him about a half hour ago he's always in search of the truth yeah but there is a line when you're making a movie when you're making a play when you're doing any piece of art there is a thin veil of um of falseness there's a thin veil of the abstract and of the untrue and uh you know when you are that committed to representing your life in the most true way well, then you're never going to ultimately make the thing. And this one just takes that idea to its extreme. Like, oh, my God. I'm going to build not only a replica of my apartment, but a replica of my apartment building and then a replica of my city and then and a replica of my replica of the yes. city. And, uh, you know, if you're only representing the truth, if you're only recreating um, what happened to you in real life, then you're not really making art. No, exactly. It's what's going to happen to Jeffrey Tyler. Yeah. So. <laughs> So it's going to happen to me. No, it's not. It is. No, get over yourself. It's okay. No, this is the most nihilistic film I've ever seen in that way where it's like uh -huh. the truth is it's, it basically says like like I guess what you what you just said where it's like if you commit so hard to this it's not going to happen. Right. It's never ever going to happen and you're going to die not. Because happen. art is in a way untrue. There has to be yeah. an element that is untrue. And you need to accept that. Yes. You need to accept that. That's the point. And if you're constantly chasing that dragon you're going to die miserable and alone. And that's just going to be that you will have accomplished nothing. And mm. that's exactly what happens to Philip Seymour Hoffman's character. And 
as soon as he says, I think I have a title for this play. I, I was like, you're going to say Synecdoche, New York, aren't you? Mm-hmm. And then he doesn't say Synecdoche, right. New York. And I'm like, okay, fade to black. Yeah. And I, I just like cast the movie out, fade to black, please. Yeah. And then it starts doing it. I'm like, okay, you got me. Yeah. Oh, it's an amazing ending. <laughs> Cause I think that was the point. You're supposed to be like, fuck you, man. You're, you're done. You don't deserve this. That's how I felt. Anyway. Yeah. I, I'm sorry if we spoiled a lot of the movie, cause it is one of those movies where you want to go in cold. Yeah. Because you watch the beginning. It's nothing like the ending. Yeah. And it's just like a pretty like typical, like Woody Allen ish, uh, like domestic drama, comedy the, drama. Well, the, the way it fades into being just this abstract, absurd piece is just so natural too. Yeah. And it so earns every little moment. That's just, Kaufman, man. Yeah. It's like, and this happened. Yeah. The first touch with Sammy just in the background, which is very creepy for me, which I, I initially read as like, like a human's anxiety, how it always kind of feels like, you, you know, you're being watched but you know you, you you can't do anything about it. That's just, just it's just that that level of pressure all the time. Mm. I almost wish they had just stuck the character to that. That yeah. would have been a cool idea, just as like a metaphor. Mm-hmm. No, the the first half of this movie works. It totally does. It's just like a loser husband that whose wife doesn't love him. Man, <laughs> you know it's horrifying. <laughs> Keena really outdoing herself in, in like the in the. Uh, just she always plays a shit. Yeah, head, just she? the. <laughs> I have to stress, I don't think this would ever happen to anybody. It's it's touching on a very heightened idea of the truth, which is fine. That's what movies do. But yeah, it's it. I, I guess that's maybe why I was struggling to really like 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 create a like a a, a deeper like like personal relationship to it, just because I didn't believe any of that in that way. Yeah. I was like, no, even the most pathetic people don't wind up th- this pathetic. They just don't. Yes. Th- you know, at the, at the very least he would have become a monster. Right. Right. Um, just horrifying cinema, <laughs> just horrifying cinema. And I, in a way, yes, I, I, I agree. The movie broke me. I Mi- love it though, man. I love Miko, it so much. Don't worry. You're not going to end up like fucking, <laughs> are you sure you have people who care about you? What if like my daughter moves to France? Becomes a stripper. Makes you think you're gonna have a daughter. What am I gonna do? <laughs> okay, what if my son moves to France? Makes you think you're gonna become a son. stripper. It makes you think you're gonna have children. Who knows? I love how they play on that Paris, <laughs> Texas moment of just yeah. when he's in like the yeah. I'm sure so. no one would pick up on the Paris, I Texas. Thought, that's the first thing I thought of. Yeah. Me, yeah, me too. Oh, awesome stuff. Synecdoche, New York. It's a hell of a movie. My God. I also uh, y- you can't recommend this movie. Physically impossible to recommend this movie to anybody. Yeah. Um, but yeah, wouldn't recommend it as like a date night movie. Oh my God. I wouldn't Netflix and chill to this movie. It's like one of the hardest movies to, to pin down and settle into that I've ever seen in my life. For sure. Yeah. So good though. Very good. Yes. Very, very good. All right. Finally, Anomalisa. Yeah. 2015 movie directed by Charlie Kaufman and Duke Johnson, his co-director. David Thewlis stars in this movie. I'm just going to read this now as Michael Jennifer Jason Lee as Lisa and Tom Noonan as everyone else. <laughs> yep. <laughs> just hilarious. Uh, nominated for best animated feature. It is the first ever R rated best animated feature nominee. Yeah. A man crippled by the mundanity of his life experiences or a man. There should be a comma there. A man crippled by the mundanity of his life experiences something out of the ordinary. There it is. IMDb. Um, this film. Here's the Coen Brothers connection. 
was initially written as a sound play, as an audio play. It was performed all the way back in 2005 uh, as part of a production called Theater of the New Ear. Carter Burwell, the great composer behind a lot of Coen Brothers movies and some Charlie Kaufman movies, Mm -hmm. put this thing on. He got Kaufman to do one of the plays, and he got the Coens to do another one of the plays. He scored it. He added all the Foley, and it just involved a bunch of actors sitting on stage performing with a, a music stand in front of them, all of their lines, and it's meant to sort of be a theater of the mind type thing with Carter Burwell music. Okay. Coen Brothers wrote a, a, a play called Sawbones, which is about a uh, <laughs> a soap opera star named Sawbones and a couple who uh, is watching the soap opera. And it's sort of like a meta thing. And Charlie Kaufman wrote a play called Hope Leaves the Theater, which is a Charlie Kaufman play. Yes. And it's very meta. And uh, it's kind of like the adaptation of theater. Okay. Put it that way. Uh, Eventually, the Coens had to uh, drop out. And his play, the Coen Brothers play was replaced by Anomalisa with the same cast that is in this movie. Jennifer Jason Lee, David Thewlis, and Tom Noonan. Sweet. Now. I was fascinated by this. Mm. So I went online last night and I'm like, I must find this play. I must. And I looked far and wide. I went on YouTube. I went on Reddit. Couldn't find shit. Then I finally stumbled upon a website called being Charlie Oh no. Which is a Charlie Kaufman fan site, fan blog, which was selling an MP3 file of theater of the new year for six dollars on its website and you got it and i said hell yes that's a bargain so last night i listened to theater of the new year (laughs) and it is quite incredible in the coen brothers play you got john goodman steve buscemi uh i think uh uh, what's her face uh freaking uh is it marcia gay harden yeah marcia gay harden's in it and then in the uh, in the in the uh, the the Kaufman play, you got Meryl Streep, Peter Dinklage, and Hope Davis. Wow! And it's just amazing. Okay, I need to send you this MP3 file. It's an hour and twenty minutes. All right, you will love it. It's just great. Just put it on in the car. It's just amazing. <laughs> All right, it's just so them. Uh, anyway, I just wanted to point that out there. That's cool. Little aside. All right, loved both of the plays. Um, okay, so Anomalisa. Mm-hmm. What'd you think of it? I mean, I don't want to watch this ever again. Why? It's a very like simple story that I feel like I've seen before. I guess that was, and I couldn't pick my finger on where I was getting those vibes, but huh. something about it felt very, very, very familiar to me. It's also very predictable for me personally. It's like, as soon as I saw how everyone was the same, I knew exactly where it was going to go. And I knew how the arc was going to progress with Lisa. Um, and I was wondering, is this going to build to the simple note of him just the, the character not kind of, you know, getting anywhere and learning that the rest of the world's fine. He's just the problem. Yes. And that's what it was. Right. Um, and maybe that's the thing I, I, I got. It. I was like with a movie that's this quiet and, and slow and takes his time with these characters holding on every little nuance. I was hoping it would build to more of like, oh, I get it. Like a, like a, like a straight story kind of moment, Uh but it didn't quite get there with me. 
Um, even though the animation is fantastic. It's amazing. And the voice acting across the board is pretty fantastic. Jennifer Jason Lee is Jennifer outstanding Jason in this Lee movie. Jennifer Jason Lee is so... She's outstanding. Unbelievably good. And I can't stress enough how fucking awesome it is. Give her an Oscar nomination, yeah. man. Why don't the Oscars get weird yeah. with their acting nominations? Mm-hmm. Every year they're putting Helen Mirren in, in some stupid yeah. category. And it's like, just put Jennifer Jason Lee. Give her a nod. Oh, yeah. And also, like, the just the flow of this movie is quite pretty and soothing and like just 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 feeling your way through it is 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 awesome and it's for an animation i can't say i've seen anything like it before yeah um yeah and i i i but i I guess um yeah i i don't know i don't know i wasn't there with the tom noonan decision yeah i okay so i'm sure someone's mileage may vary on that it's also kind of the point of the movie, though. No, and that's my problem. It's, you know, I, I, I'm overtly aware that it is the the, the point of the movie. It, right? It wasn't that was not lost on me? I'm just not sure it worked. Yeah. Well, I look. I understand sure. how it. This could have been a sound play first. Yes. Like this makes a lot more sense as just theater of the mind. Like all of those ideas are articulated brilliantly just by reading the script out loud. Sure. Yeah. You know, and you really don't need a visual element to it. Yeah. You know, yeah, I, I understand that though. As as a play too, this would have worked, you know, even even better. Like I, I was kind of watching it, and I did have that moment where I'm like, you know, I'm not sure this 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 works better as a film. Yes, and it, having you say that it is a play initially, even as a sound play, makes much more sense to me. Yeah, because I was a little like 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 confused by i was like like why why do they want to make this into a into a movie it's very it's a very strange decision and yeah i had to admit like i understand the point of tom noonan's character characters and quote his his presence in the movie entirely and i think it's a great idea on paper Uh but when watching it i was always distracted yes there was not one single moment where i wasn't distracted even even once I understand understood what it was doing, I was just like, I, I get it, I get it, I get it, and I understand this might have been a little more distant from what Charlie Kaufman was getting at, but if mm-hmm. you had at least just made Tom Noonan play all the the male characters and got another indistinct voice to play all the female characters, maybe that would have worked for maybe. me a little better. I understand that's not quite what he was going for, but just as an, a, a cinematic experience. Uh, I, I, I could have been immersed in the story, which it felt like it was trying to immerse me and I never quite settled into it. I'll tell you what, though, the scenes where Michael and Lisa are by themselves in the hotel room, oh, I, I think are just stunning. Yes. And you're right. I, I think like as an intimate love story, this movie works on basically every level. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, the Tom Noonan thing, it, it I hesitate to call it a gimmick because, again, it's the premise yeah. of the movie. But it, it does at times feel like sort of a comedic gimmick. Mm-hmm. That, that doesn't quite work. I, I guess I, I agree to a certain extent. I also just don't think you have a movie without that element. That's though. the problem. It, yeah. it, it's why I'm so conflicted on it. It's like, yes, I understand why it's so necessary. And it's such, like I said, it's such a great idea on the surface. I just think in execution, it, it's just, it wasn't the correct decision. Yes. But I, I agree. Like, like make all the puppets have the same faces. That's an awesome idea. Uh-huh. Yeah. No, I, I think if he had just cast another actress to play all the female characters and then keep Tom Noonan as all the other male characters, I would have gotten the same impression and I yeah. would have been completely immersed in the movie. Maybe. I don't know. And, and people are, you know, I'm sure there's people out there that just hate me for saying that. Yeah. Charlie Kaufman hates me for saying <laughs> yeah, that. Yeah, for sure. But 
yeah, dude, I'm just telling. Of course, I, it's antithetical. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's I, antithetical to the whole point. And I, like, yeah, I get it, but I would still tell him, dude, at the end of the day, I just don't believe it works. I understand. I understand your criticism. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I still just found the love story, though, to be just beautiful. And heartbreaking. I, I, yeah, and incredibly mm-hmm. heartbreaking. The ending is not great. No. It's the one part where it's just like, oh, that's the best you got. That's kind of what I'm saying. It's like it ended in that way. And I'm like, eh. It doesn't really land on any sort of like powerful note no it's very flat and yeah. i i like the reveal that it was all uh michael's like own problems yes he was his own worst enemy great idea but it needed to end that moment where he's sitting on the stairs it that needed to be crushing to me yes and i was like all right i guess he's just gonna deal with it yes i don't know yeah the ending is definitely the worst part of it um the movie takes place at the Fregoli hotel in cincinnati by the way have you been there no because it's not a real hotel because oh. the Fregoli dis- delusion or the delusion of doubles is a rare disorder in which a person holds a delusional belief that different people are in fact a single person who changes appearance or is in disguise. So this is actually a real psychological disorder that Michael is going through here. Um, and that hotel is a, a reference to that. That's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> that's fucking nuts. <laughs> Could you imagine? That's now that's terrifying. Yeah. I would love to do a movie where they're aware of that. Like the movie discusses that specific idea. That sucks. Right. That everyone around you is changing their appearance to fool you. That is horror. Now that's horrifying. Right. Fuck that. <laughs> <laughs> oh God. Oh, Adam just, just shuddered. Oh God. Thinking about that, that, that oh God, now I'm going to be paranoid for the rest of my life. Yeah. That that's actually a real thing. Right. Yeah. But this movie doesn't play it for horror. This movie plays it for love. And, uh, you know, I just think like Cincinnati is the perfect place to set this movie as someone that spent a little time there with Nick. Uh, yeah, just nothing going on in Cincinnati. <laughs> I guess it's perfect. It's just the perfect, like, you know, stand in city for a business trip. Yep. Just the perfect business <laughs> trip city. You know, there's going to get drinks in the lobby. Like it's just a perfect city for that. Cincinnati. Enjoy your business trip. Yeah, that's it. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> I get that. Yeah. Don't take too much out of the mini bar. That's what it is. That's what it is. Um, yeah. I, 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 again, was blown away by it i i just really adored this movie um jennifer jason lee really carries it in many ways man every scene with her character that that's when the tom noonan stuff was working for me too yes every time it was complimented with michael and her i was just like oh god this is such a great thing right and again a lot of the movie is that at a certain point there's a good chunk of the movie that is that and it's it is good enough for me where it's like I, i come out of it and say like you know it's it it wasn't entirely my cup of tea, but like, boy, do I appreciate this. And when it really like latches onto me and starts, you know, uh, tugging at my heartstrings, it's, it's, you know, one of the more memorable, uh, uh, explorations of these themes that I've seen. Incredible animation. As you said, the bodies of these figures are just so perfect. Like all of the flab and love handles that are just dangling (laughs) off of these characters as their naked bodies have sex. I'm just like, yeah, movies should look like this. I want more sex scenes like this. It's kind of hot in a weird way. How surprised were you when they got naked and started fucking? Oh yeah. Oh, it's like when there's, oh. there's some there's some claymation cunnilingus going on here. It's not as good as the Team America sex scenes. Uh, well, nothing hey. nothing it beats those. Those are masterpieces, of course. But this is up there. You yeah, know, you know, in the realm of puppet sex scenes, this is like number I don't know. It's number three. Yeah, number three. What would number two be? Was there a Muppet sex scene I'm not aware of? There has to be. Well, (laughs) anything with Gonzo and the chicken. Come on. (laughs) 
<laughs> exactly. Um, also, how about a hotel movie? You love this. How about a hotel movie? Because <laughs> hotels are freaky. Oh, my God. <laughs> Dude, th- I'm telling you, there is no more lonely locale than a hotel. Well, that's what I loved so much about this movie, more than anything, I think, was the setting, because I completely agree with that. If right. you're it, trying to emphasize just how just just on his own this character is, but, you know, forcibly so, just how lonely he could possibly be, I think the hotel, you could you can't get much better than that. Yeah, it's The Shining, Barton Fink, Lost yeah. in Translation, all of these great hotel movies. Um, it's it's almost like a cliche at this point, yeah. in a way, but it works so it, well. You know, it's so funny, because, like, there is probably never a location where you are closer to more yeah. people, yet separate from them. Mm-hmm. You know, and, like, it's literally a place where there are a hundred homes, there are a hundred apartments that each person is inhabiting, Yet you go in a hotel hallway and it's always silent. Yeah. And exactly. all of the doors are locked and there are do not disturb signs in the front. And there is nothing communal about it, even though it should be a pretty communal place. I think that's the, it's, it reminds me of like the, the, I, I'm, I'm always trying to make these, these loose comparisons, but bear with me here. Okay. Where you're saying like you're, you're forced into an environment that is super like quote unquote popular, but in a way you're, you're, you're just, you're lonelier than ever because you're, you're relegated to your own space. It kind of reminds me of, um, um, uh, lost in translation. Yes. You know, with, um, uh, Bill Murray's character, when you look at Bill Murray's the most popular beloved thing ever, but over here, yes. You know, in Japan, only like three people recognize him. Yeah. And that, like I said, that contrast is, is what emphasizes the loneliness. Yes. You know, hundred percent. No, I, I, I don't think it's a coincidence that both movies are set in a hotel. And I, I think that Lisa is a very like Scarlett Johansson S character in this. Yeah. yeah. You know, yeah. although like she's not as young and sexy as, as, uh, as Scarlett is like, there is something very fascinating about her mm-hmm. and it, it, you know, I, I know we keep coming back to this gimmick, this, this Tom Noonan gimmick, but there is no more, perfect way to illustrate how a person can just sort of speak to you on that level um than this movie like it's just a a great idea to communicate like you know i don't know why i'm attracted to this person and i don't know exactly why we understand each other but i know that we're having a conversation now and i'm hearing what no one else is hearing and she is hearing what yes you know no one else is hearing oh every idea that comes out of michael and lisa is beautiful yeah and i and this is the other thing i completely 110 oh, percent believe it. Mm-hmm. it i and i i i agree with it actually it, it goes beyond just believing it's like yes i i have always thought this way about people and it's rarely ever expressed in movies there's just that thing that that person has that it's hard to yeah hard explain to intangibility too mm-hmm. you know when something is intangible like yeah movies are not really built to explain that yeah. stuff and just the power of just having a human connection just how shitty it is to feel alone yeah and then when that one person comes along just what how it's like unlike any other feeling yes and the movie just just does this amazing job at expressing that and it is it's so it's so touching there's such a such a strong amount of heart in this movie that even if i have a few reservations like they don't overcome that that warm core yes you know and i just yeah i do i do really like the movie all in all if i were to like sum it up you know okay so there we go that's anomaly yeah all right uh here we go what are we gonna do here I have my pick. I think I know where you're going, definitely. Yeah, but w- are you you're doing Synecdoche, New York? I get that though. If you're going to make the argument because it is entirely uh, Charlie Kaufman, yeah, yeah. Uh, look, I, I understand it is not a box office force, and I, I'm 
I understand like its cultural significance may be limited. I don't think it checks off any of our boxes. Yeah, definitely but, not. But as I've as we've gone over before, we're we're <laughs> we've been straying away from that. Yeah. So Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind is the first one off the board somehow, even though it's Ironic. the most iconic movie, right? That's well, that's what happens. Yeah. Know? Yeah. For us, yeah. There it goes. Um, I think Anomalisa. I'm okay with crossing that one off too. I, I think it's a really beautiful movie. I don't think it's like the ultimate Charlie Kaufman movie. No, no, no. Um, and it's probably a little too recent too to induct. So yeah, no, I agree. It's so, good. No, it's good. But I think a good case can be made for adaptation. I think a really good one can be made for that. Yeah, but it's not being John Malkovich, dude. It's not. Yeah, I think you're probably right. What would you say is the most Charlie Kaufman? Oh God, it's Synecdoche, New York, and it's not even fucking close. Mm. <laughs> it, it, the thing is, it's almost Charlie Kaufman to a fault. Yeah, mileage is going to vary on that. Yeah, for us, it, we 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 are we're pretty happy with it. <laughs> but uh, that movie is just it's it's a monster. <laughs> this movie is a monster right, in, so a, in a good way. So we, we've said that being John Malkovich is the better Spike Jones movie. Yes. So we'll cross yes. out adaptation. Yeah, and this is, I guess, where where it comes down to it. It's like, do we pick the one that is? the Charlie Kaufman movie or the one where he just wrote the movie. And, yeah. And I agree. Synecdoche in New York is the more, uh, Charlie Kaufman. I love being John Malkovich much more. I know you do, but I get it. I get it. If you want to go Synecdoche in New York, that's understandable. Well, I've been giving you a lot of these and if you're going to give me a bone, I'm certainly going to snatch it up. Go ahead. I'm taking it. That's okay. To the finish line. Uh, Synecdoche, New York. <laughs> Welcome to the movie hall of fame. <laughs> That's weird. <laughs> also because I knew exactly what your arguments were going to be. Yeah. I, I don't, I don't, have, I gave you Zelig, man. Yeah. I don't have much of a retort. If Zelig's in there, then Synecdoche, New York could be in there too. <laughs> Very true. I love that movie, man. Yeah. I love it. I think it's my favorite. Really? I think it is. Wow. Okay. I think it's my favorite of the five. It's a hell of a movie. God. <laughs> yep. So good. Watch it if you haven't seen it. All right. You good? Are you cleansed? Yes. All that Kaufman is out of your system? Yes. I, I'm, 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 I can say I have committed to Charlie Kaufman. It, there's, there, it had some, there were some great times. I feel like some, he had some trouble with this one. Some down, no, there are some downers. Yeah. Don't get me wrong, yeah. but I don't have that much trouble. It's not the hardest thing I, I had to sit. I don't know. I'm trying to think of like what the hardest thing you've ever subjected me to was. Bombach was okay for you, right? I loved Bombach. Yeah, I had a really good time with Bombach. Uh, Terrence Malick was the most pleasant surprise of my life. Yeah. Um, what else did you did you tell me to do? I don't really know. I don't think I've really tortured you that much. I guess technically this was the toughest in a way, but yeah. I, but that, that's not saying I still enjoyed most of them. Yeah. So okay, good. Yeah. I love him, man. I think he's one of the best creative forces in in the business today. I just think he's special. He is, and uh, that'll do it. What's next week? I don't know. I'm not here next week. Oh right. All right. We'll take next week off. Yeah. Maybe we'll play cinephile when you're on the beach or something. <laughs> oh God. <laughs> that's what we're gonna do. I don't know. Oh God. Uh, all right, two weeks then. What are we doing two weeks from now? I don't know. Is there is there one that uh, one that I want to do, or do we want to do a year? Give me a year, we're, unless you have an idea. Uh, well, we're, we we're running out of years. What's what's left? We are running out of years. Um, all right, give me a give me a decade you'd like to explore, uh, and I'll tell you what's left. Um, Got to cross that one off. 
I mean, what's is there anything left in the eighties? There are two years left in the eighties, nineteen eighty three and nineteen eighty nine. 1983 and 1980. What about what's left in the 90s? 1996. We haven't done that. That's a great year. It is. It's a great year. You want to do that one? Yeah, why not? Okay. You've probably seen most of those. 1996 movies. I think the answer is obvious. Should be. Well, let's see. Should be. Mars Attacks, obviously. Ooh, yeah. <laughs> Happy Gilmore. Oh, my God. <laughs> Okay. Let's see. Huh. Where to go with this one? All right, I will say Fargo first then. Well, hold on, because my phone is nice and slow. All right, here we go. Um, Oh, boy, Escape from L.A. Uh, Scream. Oh, okay. Scream. Um, Swingers. I have not seen Swingers. What? Nope. Your money, baby. Yeah. Your money, baby. Yeah. Oh, come on. It's the best. Swingers. Swingers is a very Nico movie. Yeah, it's it's always kind of seemed like a Nico movie. <laughs> it's ironic because Nico is the furthest thing from a swinger. Uh, <laughs> well, they're not actually swingers. No, I'm sure. But Train spotting. Is that 96? Looks like it. Yeah. Oh, wow. Oh, there's a lot of good movies this year. I was going to say, there's uh, plenty of good movies, actually. W- hold on. Before we let you pick one browse through them because there's got to be a few that we're missing yeah there's some that are hidden here yeah bottle rocket Ooh, Wes Anderson's first film which you wouldn't mind I think I guess I'll go sling blade right yeah and then of course Jack (laughs) obviously my favorite Coppola film oh Twister came out (laughs) I love Twister so much uh, I should. Uh, oh, Jerry Maguire, the Cable Guy. Jeez, yeah, it's not a. There's bad, some good movies this year. Yeah, this isn't a bad year at all. You can go Big Night. Actually, I've never seen it, but I hear it's pretty good. Big Night. What about Space Jam? <laughs> Gilliver's Trap. Heart Eight. I've not seen Heart Eight yet. Tremors Two. Yes. Is Tremors Two good? Yeah. Is it? Yeah. Ooh. What? Pusher. Oh. All right. You don't want to save that for the... Are we ever going to do a ref and pod? No. If you can promise me we'll do a ref and pod, I'll gladly do it. Okay, I'll promise you we'll do a ref and okay, pod. Okay, there we go. Jeez. All right. You, you're constantly twisting my arm on this podcast. <laughs> That's not I'm a, a... I'm a very bad negotiator. It's a good fucking movie. <laughs> All right. Uh, I'm going to make it, I'm still going to make it hard for you and I'm going to put in bottle rocket anyway. Oh, great. You, you won't mind it. Okay. Not Jerry Maguire, huh? No, I don't. I mean, I like Jerry Maguire enough. I'm not crazy about it. All right. Yeah. Bottle rocket. Just cause it'll be fun to talk Wes Anderson as always. <laughs> bottle rocket, sling blade, swingers, Fargo. What else? Uh, what did I just say? Bottle Rocket, Sling Blade, Fargo, Swinger, Scream, Scream, um, and what was the other one? <laughs> and Train Spotting. There you train go. Spotting. Those yeah, are your yeah. six. Yes, 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 yes. All right. Yes, yes. Some good movies. Yes. Some good movies from 1996. All right. Uh, that's it. Love you so very, very much. Mm-hmm. Uh, safe travels, Adam Hall. Oh, thank you. Safe travels. We'll be back in two weeks talking the films of 1996. Until then. Mm-hmm.
You and I share the same DNA. Is there anything more lonely than that? No. No. <laughs>